This is the PropTech VC Podcast. We give you unique insights into how innovative technologies are disrupting real estate. We interview top entrepreneurs, investors, and knowledgeable experts to share the inside scoop in this fast-moving industry. It's hosted by leading PropTech VC, Zane Jaffer. Let's dive into today's content. What are the major differences when it comes to managing single-family versus multi-family? Um, and how, how do the unit economics change? Because I, I understand single-family, you can take a much larger fee. So for those people who, who assume, okay, I can get more money in my pocket, this is good. Um, but you're losing the leverage. What, what, what are you seeing? So typically on the single family side, we're going to make math real simple and pretty here. You know, ideally you'd get 10%, right? And so let's say you had a hundred units, you get a 10% management fee. Your average rent is a thousand dollars. So that's a decent amount of money. That's 10,000, right? A month. But at a hundred, you probably need a full-time bookkeeper, I would think, and maybe somebody to answer your phones. And so that's two employees. At today's rate of pay, I mean, you're looking at probably 7,000, I would say, if you wanna pay well and be competitive in, in paying these people and, and you have to match the taxes, et cetera, right? So that $10,000 that you're really excited about, you know, reduced to about 3,000 in NOI. And then on top of that, you've got you know, your, your rent for your office space, your insurance, you know, your office supplies. And so that, that profitability just goes down tremendously. Now, again, if you're like me, I appreciate the leverage. So I'm okay with that. I'm, I'm good with that because it's helping me uh, achieve other business, long-term business goals. Okay. Allowing me to meet people like you, allowing me to get investment opportunities, to have more entrepreneurship opportunities. So I'm okay with that. Um, so some people might not want that versus multifamily and multifamily i'm able to hire talent um they are able to do a lot of the admin tasks because they're at the property day in and day out right so they're handling the vendors they're dealing with the maintenance calls and the property is paying for this talent not the management company okay I love that. I love that because at the end of the day, I can have one complex, right? With a hundred units, the same number of units that I would have with single family. And arguably I would have the exact same profit, right? Exact same NOI with less work and less. I mean, I still have to manage the people. I still have to manage the people. I still have to have people, but somebody else is paying for that talent. So, I mean, it's just, to me, it's a matter of how you look at it. I mean, I have, you know, very well-respected colleagues in the industry that are like, no, single families where it at, where it's at. And I'm like, well, man, I, I ran a company and I know how much we paid for, you know, I, their conversations were endless about like, man, how do we do reduce expenses? You know, people are your highest, you know, that's where we're spending the most amount of money. And, and you, in order to be profitable in single family, I feel like you have to have a high volume you know, a lot of single family. I think we at the most, we had about 1600 single family homes when I left. That's a lot. Of course you benefit by having all the tenants ideally in one or two or three buildings, very, very close to each other. But with that, mm -hmm. you also have a unit mix that's consistent or floor plans that are more yeah. consistent. Not just uh -huh. the floor plan, but everything inside of the floor plan too. I mean, let's not talk about furnished, but let's let's assume, you know, the countertops and the doorknobs and the light fixtures. When you have maintenance issues across a hundred different single family homes, they're going to have completely different interiors. 
And I'm imagining that adds a lot of complexity to maintenance and servicing problems as they arise. Oh, absolutely. And not only that, you have, you know, when you have single family homes, you have different clients. So they all have different expectations in terms of what you're allowed to do. And so you're constantly kind of having, you better have a really good system of documentation in place that uh, so that when that call comes in, you know exactly what that specific owner needs, right? So not only in the multifamily arena is it easier because you have a very consistent product, but you also are, it's much easier to manage. And, and those clients arguably are different than the single family home client. Um, they, they've kind of been in this arena for a while. They understand the risk is different. They understand that what has to happen for this uh, operation to work. Their mindsets are a little bit different than maybe perhaps just the single family home owner. The single family asset class is slowly becoming institutionalized. And with that, expectations are going to change in terms of what people expect from their property management company. Because if you're a large institution and you've played in the multifamily space and now you're buying portfolios of single family rentals, you're probably buying them piece by piece. And then you want to manage them centrally. And what advice do you have for folks and what perspective do you have on how, how that transition will be where you've got institutional investors with expectations and you've got potentially firms that are not necessarily set up to do that. If you're a multifamily only firm and you're being pushed to go manage a portfolio of 20, 50 single family homes, what, what's going to happen as this starts to, you know, as the industry moves in that direction? Well, I think as a property management company, you have to decide if you're, you know, at some point you get to say no. And and I can respect that. If, if this isn't your niche, let me know. I don't think it serves anybody to force someone to do something that they're not good at. And so I think property management goes back to knowing who you are and what you're good at. And if you have a, which I love a large clients. I love our, you know, the one client I have that gave me 850 doors, I love. But what I've learned is that my ability to serve diminishes when I say yes to things that I shouldn't have said yes to in the first place. And my client is upset. So, you know, if I don't want to diversify, I need to be okay with that. And I need to own that. If um, I want to be able to have a business that is scalable and grows with you know, where we're ultimately going, then I think that uh, you have to implement now uh, systems that will allow you to be scalable. And you have to consult and get coaches and people who've gone before you and get, you know, let learn from their, you know, failures uh, before you even get to that point. And, you know, I was listening to um, uh, an interview you did with Tim, Tim Draper, and he said, be willing to look at the world in a new way. And that just resonated with me, right? So I think we're all in this space where we have to be, if we're gonna grow, we have to be willing to look at the world in a new way. When you have a client and they're as big as say, you know, the, the, the 850 unit client, you know, the assumption is they're going to be buying real estate. And sometimes when you're an institutional investor, you buy a portfolio. And buying a portfolio means some of these assets aren't so great and some are. Okay, I've been in the situation where we're, you know, we, we want to buy one building, but the seller wants to sell five. Now we have to figure right. out a price. And the idea is, okay, we're going to buy one of these buildings that isn't very nice, but there's at least these four we really like. And so the economics will work out for us. How do you handle situations when that is an expectation investors have? Do, 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 as a property manager, do you say, yeah, I'll, I'll take the best four, but I won't do the one? Um, or, or do you reluctantly take it on because there's an implicit expectation? Or, or is your view, no, be explicit instead of expectations. Okay. Yeah. 
So that's a great, I mean, actually, that's my real world life example right now is this one particular client has a lot of, a lot of products, most of which is distress. Um, and essentially what I said was, okay, that's fine. I'm going to manage these distressed assets. And while you're looking to sell them uh, as a package, there are certain uh, components or certain properties of yours that I will not lease. I will not lease. They are a liability to me. They are a liability to you. I will not put butts in beds for you. I will make sure, however, that it, the building doesn't crumble to the ground. I will make sure it's maintained and that it's being, I have a watchful eye over it. Um, however, in the interim, I, I won't do anything. And so some of these, these buyers that are looking at the portfolio are saying, hey, are you willing to manage it? I said, only if, only if you're willing to actually put your money where your mouth is and help me turn this around. Because if you have an expectation for me to turn this property around, when all you're going to go do is put paint on the walls and new floors, you're not going to address the fundamental issues of HVAC and plumbing, and I'm going to have disgruntled, yelling, screaming people, the money, I'm sorry, is not worth it for me. I need to be your partner. We need to partner together, and I need to know you have my back so that then I can produce for you. Now, at the point in which you invest in me, and you invest in the property and I don't produce, that's a different conversation. But I need you to understand what you're buying or what you have and and know my limitations. Like I'm, I just can't sell you something that I can't produce. It just doesn't work. Does that answer your question? Absolutely. And uh, I've been, I've worked with a number of different property management firms and some are very eager to do business. And then once three months, six months, 12 months have passed, you realize, wait, you're nowhere near the performers, and now I'm getting this massive budget request, and now I'm hearing for the first time that we're supposed to sink money into this. And this happens all the time, and then people switch to new property management firms. And I can appreciate why as well, because as an institutional investor, we will take quotes from property managers and they'll help us underwrite. And sometimes we're gonna look at three or four different proposals, and we're gonna say, well, firm A can get better revenue with lower cost. So something must be wrong with firm B or C or D because you know they're putting too much cost here. And so budgeting is a very critical element and it's a delicate balance too because as a property manager, I know, especially you, uh, have a lot of passion uh, for the properties that you manage. Um, you, know, you, spend your, you spend your whole life basically focusing on these units and you've got residents there and you want to see these places um, be you know, places where people can live and enjoy themselves rather than life safety liability. So how do you balance what's required on the CapEx side? Sometimes you could go in and you could make this property amazing, but the rents won't justify it. Or maybe you can, but the investor isn't on board. How do you balance what you think what you think should happen in the property versus what the investor thinks? And how, how do you handle that? Yeah, so I always think it's a really important, if it's possible, to ask your investor, like in the kind of the courting stage, because I'm courting you just as much as you're courting me, right? And so it's like, okay, well, what was your performa? Tell me, what did you expect to happen year one, year two, year three, year four? Because I need to understand where your expectations are and then you know i i've kind of been teased that i'm the deal killer uh because i'm the you know i come in with this black hat mentality of like no this is gonna go wrong this is gonna go wrong this is gonna go wrong and i don't want to be that and yet you know i'm gonna look at your performance and i'm gonna go 
I mean, it's doable. And, and, and fortunately, like in the case of, of your asset, we've managed it before. So I actually had the upper hand in knowing that I know how it performed, right? So I, I knew whether, you know, the budget that we created for you was accurate or not. But oftentimes, I think it's just really first and foremost, just understanding what their expectations are. And then going in and, and really assessing yourself. Can I do this? You've got to do the market research. You've got to be realistic. I mean, we just got out of like like five years worth of concessions. Like literally in some of the markets we serve, it was concession, 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 concession. And so now you've got rents that are drastically under market. And so I think that what we as property managers need to be able to do is to really analyze that. Here's your rent roll. Here's where the market should be. But unfortunately, because these are like 50 to 100 to 125 dollars under market, it's going to your your year one performance probably going to take us like two, maybe three, just to get me up there again. Like it's going to take me a while. So we have to adjust your expectations a little bit. And then if you say, look, I'm not willing to adjust my expectations. This is what I expect. And I go, you know what? You want to hire me? I'm going to give it a good college try. I'm going to do my very best for you. I'm going to be passionate. I'm going to show up to the arena and fight every day. But I can sleep at night because I've told you this is what I anticipate is going to happen. You know, and I think that that is a, the most important part of the relationship. You tell me what you want. I tell you what I want. I tell you what I can do. You tell me what we can do. We agree to continue to go down this road together. And when we meet the bumps and the hurdles and it doesn't exactly happen the way we thought it was going to be, we've already talked about it. You know, it's, it's not, I'm not selling you again. I can't impress this upon people enough. Stop selling a bill of goods that you cannot cash. It does not do anybody any good. It's bad for our industry.